0: Good morning. It really is good to see you. You know, it's Sunday again, and some of you haven't seen for a whole week. Some of you I haven't seen for two weeks. And some of you I'm still waiting to meet. We can't wait to have you back in church. It is so good to be here. And if if a Sunday morning like this, with this kind of sun and this kind of temperature is not wonderful, I don't know what is. Yes? Is it good to be here? Yes. It really is good to be here. Let me also introduce to you uh, friends of ours visiting from Denmark, actually from the city of Aarhus, which is not Copenhagen, where I grew up. My, my longtime friend, you know, we've met all the way back in 1900, you know, whatever. Uh, Jan Nurgard and Kirsten, his wife, would you stand up just for a second? Everybody say welcome. It is good to have them. Good to have them here. Thank you. Such a joy uh, to be with you. We are in this series, as you know, uh, we call for life and again, playing on that kind of double meaning of that for the duration of life or for the sake of life or for the creation of life even uh, if if you will and so today, uh, I want to turn to second Corinthians chapter nine. If you have your Bible if not it will going to be on the screen in a moment also. And talk about uh, talk about enriching for the sake of life, or enriching even for the creation uh, of life. The text here is is uh, one of these uh, texts that is often used for people to talk about money, and it kind of is uh, focused on that text. But Paul takes this text, and he's he's saying that the walk with God includes all of life. It applies to every aspect of life, and so because of that, he is able to move from from a very particular kind of uh, issue uh, also to to broaden it up and talk uh, theologically about our relationship to God, even as it relates to to what we might otherwise call more mundane uh, kind of things, and so. I want to I want to uh, read uh, with you chapter 9 of second uh, Corinthians I begin in, in verse 6 and just for context uh he's beginning in verse uh, 1 and and I'll just read that and you know he he's thanking the church in Corinth for their collection to the famished church in Jerusalem uh, they've had famine and difficulties and struggle. And, and so a church across the plain, internationally, so to speak, uh, way uh, away is now uh, saying, how do we help those in need and how does that bring life uh, even to those that we can't see? So Paul is beginning like this, saying now concerning the ministry to the saints, it is unnecessary for me to write to you, for I know your eagerness and I boast about you. It's almost what I do when I walk around talking about first. Lewis will just say, This is a one great church. You got to come here. This is one fantastic church. And then in second Corinthians verse, uh, chapter nine, verse six, here's the text for us this morning. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has uh, decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for the food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of his service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will be, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable It is kind of an intriguing text in so many ways, is it not? Paul simply says about being enriched for life. He's simply saying this, that, that the laws of harvest apply not only on the natural level or the natural plane but also on the spiritual plane. And and Paul illustrates this fact by, by bringing our attention to what happens to a farmer and the field. It, it is somewhat of a well-known picture, although sometimes when we live so much in the concrete jungle as we do here, that we can sometimes forget some of these things. But it, it should be somewhat well-known, right? That, that every farmer knows that if he sows or she sows in... In in the early time of the year, harvest will come later in that year, and it is of course an unchangeable law that what you sow will also come out. It's not complicated, right? You sow wheat, and you know, wheat comes up, right? You sow barley, barley comes up. You sow corn, corn comes up, right? If you, you you plant little seedlings of oak, oak trees comes up. I mean, it, it is somewhat a straightforward thing when you think about it. And beyond this, as Paul kind of highlights here also, a farmer knows that that there's a direct correlation, a proportional correlation between the way in which we sow. If you sow sparingly, you will reap that way. If you sow generously, you will reap that way. And there's something I just want to highlight. It's, it's nothing really all that significant, when you see, but it is kind of something that is worth a thought. That that the word sparingly here, of course, is an advert that explains the manner in which. That's the whole point of this: the manner in which it is it is sown, in either either a meager manner, or a generous manner. So not just pointing just to a specific, but to the very way we are doing this. And, and actually, it's a kind of a really intriguing word. When we think of generosity, we don't necessarily think of the same as the word blessed. But that word that is used here is the same as the word that's translated blessed so many other places. Are we getting this? So we are sowing in a way that anticipates the blessing that is to come when we reap that powerful that is powerful when you dwell on it just for a second like this now there's so many lessons that we can learn from this right there are so many lessons when you sit down and just contemplate on the illustration think of a farmer right who, who just risked all his fortune by buying seeds what he has goes into the purchase of these seeds and then what? He throws it on the ground, just on the dirt, trusting that this dirt will have enough nourishment, get enough moisture, get enough sun, trusting God that the reality of what he had just bought with everything he had and throwing on the ground, that that will come up and, and bring... Plenty and multiplied fold. There are no guarantees here. It's done in faith. It's a betting, if you will, in faith. And I want you to hear this. With his eyes or her eyes on the goal, they are trusting in the beginning. Or with their eyes for that, on that vision for what will come out of this, they are willing to invest in the beginning. They trust God that that's going to happen. And I want you to think about this just for a moment. There's so much to learn from this about the blessings of God and how that works. It relates to church. It relates to anything at all. If you think about it, you need to see at the beginning what is out here at the end so that we can invest in the right kind of way to attain that goal of that vision. That, that is true in all things. Can I talk to you about family? It's true there. You know that's true, isn't it? So we, we, we see in the beginning the importance of, of doing things right because we want it to develop into that very thing. We see it with our kids, uh, if we want them to grow up that way. So when they're they're tiny or small, we'll sing to them and then sing with them and, and sit at their bedside and pray with them. And, and as they grow up, we'll, we'll learn to, to read Bible with them and we'll read Scripture with them. We will share our own walk with God With them as they they come into maturity, they will learn also how we interact with God. They'll learn from the blessings that we have seen from God. And as they grow and as they learn and as they see, you hear what I'm saying. We trust what we plant in the beginning will bring a harvest in the end. There's no doubt in my life, friends, that when we sometimes see a different, uh, or Less fruit than we wish that we could see is because it can be so hard to trust in God's promises and his word. You know, what if it doesn't happen? What if he's not really fulfilling his promises? What what if it doesn't rain enough or what if it doesn't shine enough with sunshine on, on where we put, just throw it on the dirt, right, so to speak? And because of that, we get cautious and we sow sparingly. and we wonder why we don't always see the results that we we hope. You know there's a Danish expression, and I can mention that now we have Danish people in the right it's kind of like an idiom that some people that are overly cautious, we say they walk with both suspenders and a belt, right not a bad image, right? You all get it, right? It doesn't need any explanation. That's what it is. But you know, when it comes to God's promises, we don't have to wear both suspenders and a belt, right? We can trust God when it comes to this. And and I want us to think just for a moment, apply this to church, just to think about this. I don't want to over step the application here but still it is worth thinking about you know envisioning the future staying focused on the purpose this is why we do this and the power that comes from that right we there's a huge movement at the moment we call church revitalization and it goes on around uh, the whole globe, actually, and it is it is concentrated, and uh, you know, in, around here, so to speak. I don't mean right, right in, in Louisville, but but in this nation around. There's a huge emphasis on this, and much of that, you have to ask yourself, how come that these churches need to be revitalized? They just shrunk and shrunk and shrunk, and you wonder did someone at some point confuse. Purpose, So we didn't kind of seed for the future, but we seeded for what we'd like what right now. And didn't think how is our church going to be strong and vibrant and gospel spreading and on fire for the Lord that we bring in those who don't believe even in the future, even when our kids and our grandkids are here. We've that that. There, there's some real power in this. You know, a... Uh, a farmer will sow early in the year and wait till later in the year or two. So uh, a friend of mine also uh, growing up um, is a forester and, and he kind of, uh, his father was too. And so he he kind of uh, inherited that. And we were just, you know, young families and, and trying to serve. I was his, his pastor and I came out and, and, and uh, he was seeding. You know, thousands of trees. And I said, So when can you harvest these? When can you turn them into timber? And he said, That will be when I retire. You know, we're kiddos. We're 26. You know, retirement is something that happens when you're 126, right? (laughs) You know, what in the world? That's a long time to trust dirt and trees. Yes? But if we can trust dirt and trees, how much more should we not be able to trust the Lord? It's an enormous power when you, when you see things in that kind of light. And I think when Paul mentions that illustration for these purposes and broadens it up to a theological statement, not just about giving money, then, then suddenly we're seeing the power in what he is about. God has promised those who, who sow generously to reap generously. We just, That can afford to just live with this kind of a life-strangling sense of cautiousness allow us to envision what is God's purpose what is God's future where does God see Uh, this place This wonderful wonderful uh, place on the most important corner right here uh, for his for his glory so look at this text can we can we trust God can we, can we sense that here's something we can do in anticipation? What is future church going to look like? How are we going to make sure that our grandkids find the imagination that this is a place where we can meet God? Future generations also with this. I want you to look at the text here and, and just see the direct parallel to what Paul writes. In, in the church to Galatia, where it says, you know, don't, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. What a person sows, he or she shall also reap. The promise goes to you, to you, to you, to me, to all of us. The promise that There is a relationship between trusting God and living on his promises and then seeing the fruitfulness. So we are enriched in our fruitfulness for the sake of life. Powerful uh, when you see that. And Paul goes on, of course, and said, if you just sow in the flesh, you will sow nothing but destruction or reap nothing but destruction. If you sow in the spirit, you will reap eternal life. If you see that in the context in which Paul writes it here as a thanksgiving for their willingness to give and help others uh, across the globe, so to speak, it is one thing and it's powerful. But notice also how that spreads and how that gives input into our very understanding of life itself and what it means To walk with God. Things cannot be separated. I don't have my one side of life here and another side of life here, some spirituality over here. It all integrates at all levels. So what we sow will also be what we reap. And it's a big part to kind of notice what's going on here, right? Our sacrifice, our love, our surrender, our, our stewardship, if you will, our response to the spirit that lives within us will produce richness of life and spirit. I don't know how to say it uh, in any in 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 better way than what C. S. Lewis does when he says, "The only rule that count here is you can never give too much." Or quote him even more directly, he says, "You." should always dedicate or give more than you think you can. Some of you remember uh, a story where Jesus sits with his disciple and points to a poor lady. We call it the widow's mite. You can read about it in Mark chapter 12. If you don't know the story, um, that's fine. Just read about it. Mark chapter 12 begins in verse 41. And, and he's pointing to this poor widow and say, look at her. She gives it all. If you desire to be rich in fruitfulness, then sow richly, if you will. But the text goes on, and, and I need to not dwell on that anymore. Just look at verse 7 and, and see what's going on here. Also, we are enriched with joy for life. Or for the sake of life. This is so uh, almost surprising in the midst of this kind of thing. Invis- in, in, investing in God's vision uh, for his church. Develop not only fruitfulness, but joy-filledness. Can I say it that way? We pay better attention when I say it that way. Right? Joy-filledness or cheerfulness. Fullness of cheer. Look at the power that is within his here, right? To experience such a joy we are taught here, we have to focus on a very deliberate, planned way of getting engaged. Everyone should give as he has decided or she has decided in her heart. Are we seeing this? It is not pointing to some kind of haphazard thing. There's no coercion. There's no you must do this. It is a completely voluntary kind of thing. After all, as as Troy pointed out so wonderfully, it is grace piled on grace, yes? Grace upon grace. And still, the encouragement here is a symbol encouragement for Christians to prioritize right, to decide what in my life is important. What do I highlight? What do I give first priority? It is completely in line with what we see Scripture do in just about every other place. The focus here is, is on, on, on tithing, but it applies directly to just about all aspects of life. In 1 Corinthians, Paul, Paul writes it like this, that every first day of the week, you should put something aside. Think of this this way. Every first week, the first day of the week, it is like here's a holy rhythm that God cares about. There's a rhythm to live in the Christian life that matters, and it applies to just all these other things, right? It's, it's regular, it is consistent, it's that. Now, there's nothing wrong with haphazard and sudden urges of wanting to do more and give more. We know that sometimes we hear something we say, oh, I can give now. I, I can do something extra here. I can really show my love now. We get overwhelmed and want to do that. That's a good thing. Just like it's a very, very good thing. If you remember, suddenly you get overwhelmed by things. Giving a gratitude or just love for your spouse or friend and and you do something. Bring home flowers. Bring home chocolate. I hope you do that a lot. <laughs> I'm not the only one in this building that hopes that, right? I hope that's common. Suddenly, oh, I'll get over. I got to do something, invite them out or take them out or do something nice. I just want to, no no particular reason, I just want to say I love you. Are we hearing this? That's good. But it is the consistent, deliberate, everyday focus on love and genuineness that really counts and make the other things special. So, so don't miss that. That, that consistent and, and considered planned dedication is what reveals the heart. And what brings the deep, deep joy. God loves a cheerful giver. And so he wants to add to that joy, add to that joy further that he may truly see you cheerful. I'm making a connection here that I don't know is, is the most easy one to make, but I'm making it still. Am I okay with that? You okay with that? So Bible says... That every time, Jesus actually says that in, 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 uh, in the Gospel of Luke, right? And, and you'll see that several times in, in, uh, in where we, chapter 15. We have the, the parable of the prodigal son and the lost coin and so on. He said, every time someone repents and come to Christ, right? And enters heaven. Heaven rejoices, right? Full of joy. It is that kind of joy God wants to bring to us. It's the same God that we serve. Are we good with that? So so that's the kind of joy he wants to fill our hearts, and it comes from that dedication that we become, as you say here in the next few verses, enriched in every way for the sake of life, enriched in fruitfulness, enriched enriched in joy, And, and he will even enrich our usefulness and our opportunity uh, for the sake of life. If you go down uh, to verse 8, you'll see that in in the most powerful way. It's almost like a wow moment uh, right here that God has the power, right, or is able to give all things to us, all things. It's pretty astounding when you think about it, right? It includes what... Let me say something about this word, all things. It means all things. So it includes uh, all things, which is job and friends and, and opportunity and, 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 and a joyfulness and, and family and a place to be and, and all of these... And it includes all things. And it's kind of like piled up, right? So, so it overflows that grace that, that we talked about also earlier. So that in what? Every way, always having everything you need to excel in good work. It, it is pretty astounding when you look at it. it. We serve the same God that Elijah prayed to. You don't remember the story of Elijah, look at 1 Kings. You may have to write that down. First Kings 17. And you'll see what's going on there, right? He, he is, he's, he's seen great things and God done great miracles to him. And he now he's, he's starving and, and there's a famine in the land. There's nothing in, and he still gives his life to God and God sends him and rescues him. It's the exact same thing we see uh, with David, right? King David did the testimony. He said, I've been young. So I must say that, right? I'm now old, but I've yet to ever see someone who has who been left by God or who lacks or has to beg for daily bread. One of his. Paul says the same here in this uh passage that we know so well and we sometimes misquote from Philippians why right? when you say I have learned uh, how to do uh, make do with little and how to do and uh, make do with a lot in any and all circumstances I have learned the secret of being content whether well fed or hungry whether in abundance or in need I'm able to do all things through Christ are we getting this I don't want to be belab- belabor it longer than, than, than what is needed here. He wants to give us, when we trust and dedicate and focus on these things. The one who is able to do all these things. How do we round this up? I can't help but to wonder about our lives can't help but to wonder about also the church and the vision we have for what God can do through us right here where we plant and seed already now in the way that is guided by the vision that God has given for what we are supposed to be about as a church so that if he tarries our kids and grandkids and their grandkids and so on we'll still see a thriving place and from here many other thriving places God, Paul says here will do all these unimaginable kind of things fulfilling his promises he will meet our needs just look at these verses right he'll meet our needs that is he will give us what we need not necessarily all the things we, we just want but what we need he will expand our resources make sure that we can do everything needed for good Works. Just notice this. That replies to the individual, it applies also to us as a church. So look at it. And then, if you would have uh, the time at some time, look from verse 10 and down through verse 15 and, and notice how many places it refers to giving thanks. It will bring out thanks in other people. It will bring out thanks to God. It will glorify God. Is that powerful? When we lean into his promises, when we trust him with what he has given us, because we have his vision for what he wants this place and our families and our testimony to be all about. We lean into that. All these other things will bring even when it says here in verse 14, deep affection. There's not many things that excites my my heart more than when I hear we have prayer meetings. Sunday afternoon and early Sunday evening, people coming to here for nothing other than to pray. Dedicate ourselves to the Lord, see Him do His work. He's calling on us, friends. We know that it doesn't take many minutes in on the newscast or in a podcast or whatever to know that He needs us as He needs so many around are we are we Are we in on this? Am I speaking to all of y'all? Now, that was Texas, right? All of y'all, all All of y'all, not just all, not all of y'all, but all of y'all. That's like God says, it covers all of y'all. Father, will you speak to us even this morning and not in common ways, not in usual ways, not when we can walk away from here, say we were in church today, we were together. But where we would leave this place, knowing that we have met the almighty God himself, the one who visits us with his spirit. Father, move around these pews, move into these living rooms, call us together for prayer and for dedication and commitment, surrenders we have seen in your text. Speak to us individually and corporately. We're tired of same old, same old father. We want to see your hand. We want to be able to say to our friends and our neighbors and our kids. That was God. We saw his hand. So may that happen. In our hearts and in our midst, even now. Amen. Can we stand? I'm going to invite some of you to come down and kneel. We just need prayer even now. Some of you want to join the church and say, hey, I need to be in a fellowship that is focused like 1st Baptist Lewis. Whatever it is, God calls you to do. Right now is the time.